Imagine someone wins the lottery, right? They have, or I guess I should say they have the winning ticket for the lottery, but they never claim the prize, right? A huge Powerball jackpot, millions of dollars, and yet they never claim the prize. It's hard to imagine uh, somebody doing that, right? Maybe they didn't uh, see the numbers, right? And so they never were made aware that they won this massive sum of money, right? But it's really hard to imagine somebody knowing that they won and not cashing in, thinking, ah, it's too much of a hassle, you know? I'm sure there's paperwork to do. Maybe it makes taxes more complicated, right? It's hard to imagine that scenario, isn't it? I don't know what it takes to cash in on a Powerball. I don't know if it's complicated paperwork. I don't know how much it complicates your taxes, but I am sure that if any of us won the Powerball, we would, we would cash in, right? And yet, we are told in Scripture of great riches that we have access to in Christ. Far greater than any amount of money, far greater than the riches of the lottery, and yet we do not always access them. So our scripture today, what I want us to consider is that Paul holds up to us a picture, a picture of living in the fullness of Christ. And so what I want us to grasp is that there is a great picture of what the fullness of being in Christ is, and it is held before us And we ought to hunger for that, long for that, and pursue that. Because for all the hassle that it would be, it is worth it. So Paul is writing uh, to the Ephesians uh, to make known the immeasurable riches of Christ. This is what we're uh, seeing in the first uh, two chapters leading up to this. And uh, the beginning of this chapter, Paul lays out the riches that are in Christ. He speaks of the preeminence of Christ, that is his superiority over all things. Christ is reigning over all things. And as is often the case with Paul, he starts with these great spiritual truths and then he exhorts the church to walk in light of these truths. The truth that we'll examine today is that we are able to experience a real and powerful personal relationship with God. Now, I will argue that since the church is being built into a dwelling place for God, we should aim to be filled up to all the fullness of God for his glory. Let me say that again. Since the church is being built into a dwelling place for God, We should aim to be filled up to all the fullness of God for his glory. Now, as we hold up this truth that there is a great fulfillment and a great fullness of being in Christ, we might ask ourselves, then why does it sometimes feel so mundane? Why uh, does it seem to not be my experience to, to have these riches or 
Maybe we are enjoying a season of great fruitfulness and riches in Christ, and yet I want us to see that there is yet more to be experienced. So beginning in verse 14, we see, For this reason I bow my knee before the Father. Right away we must ask, what reason is he referring to? You see, part of, uh, part of why I uh, misunderestimated or mis- mistook in breaking the passage up in this way is I thought, uh, you know, of course, for this reason, he's referring to, you know, this paragraph that comes before. And there's a sense in which that, that is part of the reason, right? But actually, he's going further back to chapter 2. So, what was Paul's argument in chapter 2? It was this. You were once dead in your trespasses, but you have been made alive in Christ. And though you were once far away from Christ, he has brought you near. And then he ends with this. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is what I want us to get. Brothers and sisters, we are being built into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We are being built into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And this is the grounds by which Paul is now laying out this prayer that we see in verses 16 to 19. This is God's plan for the church. That we are being built. And this is a wonderful plan. In fact, uh, Paul uh, lays out a glorious picture of the church, uh, which is printed in your bulletin. It's part of the verses that we're not considering, but let's consider anyways. Uh, (laughs) In verse 10, Paul says that so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This is a glorious plan for the church. This is more than we often view the church. It is a high view of the church. You see, the church is not an afterthought in God's plan. We have a part to play. So let us be aware of this and let us ground our prayer that we would be filled to the fullness of God in this fact that God is building his church. So now we get into the prayer itself. Let's just read once again this prayer in uh, starting in verse 16. Paul prays that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ 
that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So Paul prays this for the Ephesians, but he prays this uh, for all believers. This is not specific to what the Ephesians are experiencing. And so we too ought to desire this for ourselves and for each other. In fact, this is the greatest pursuit in which we can endeavor. I know that is a big superlative statement that this is the greatest thing that we can endeavor. And the question is this, how can we experience the fullness of being in Christ? We who are in Christ, how can we experience this fullness? I hope that as we study this prayer of Paul's, uh, we can get a picture of what can be experienced, and I hope that we will see how it can be experienced. So uh, this prayer is a prayer of elevating requests, right? Paul prays that they would be strengthened. He prays that they would know the love of Christ, right? They're built on each other. So let us take these requests uh, in in two parts. There's two requests that that we're looking at, right? First, that God would strengthen. Second, that we would know the love of Christ. And then finally, uh, these requests will culminate with this final uh, piece that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. And we will consider that phrase uh, and make sure We know exactly what that means. So first, let's just look at verse 16. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Brothers and sisters, God is rich in glory. And it is according to the riches of his glory that he will do this. We do not need to worry that his bank account will run dry. We do not need to worry that he will not have the glory to complete this work in us. So this should give us encouragement. And we also see here that being filled with the fullness of God requires strength. But it requires a particular type of strength. That we would be strengthened with power through his spirit. It is not our own strength. And this is uh, what we must grasp as we endeavor to walk this life that God has laid before us, to walk in a manner worthy of his calling. We must understand it requires the strength of his spirit. It's not superficial, but it is within the inner person Right? We see, again, verse 16, with power through his spirit in your inner being. This is the center of who we are. In our innermost heart, this is our our, our thinking and our our emotions and our volitions. All of this, an all-encompassed change down to the depths of who we are. And to understand why we need God's spirit to do this work, we must grasp the depths of the rot that sin is in our hearts. Sometimes we are tempted to 
try to make changes, right? We, we might think of uh, Christianity superficially as a form of self-help, and so we think uh, about laying things aside by our own strength, failing to realize that the whole fruit is rotten, right? If you take a rotten apple and you adorn it in all the beauty, if you wash that apple, you scrub that apple as vigorously as you can muster, nothing will change that rot from within. What we're reminded in chapter 2 of Ephesians is that we were dead, but God has made us alive in Christ. God has made us alive in Christ. And so, brothers and sisters, we must have his strength and his spirit. And it doesn't stop when we first come to Christ. No, he is progressively sanctifying us. So, as we continue in verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. What I want us to see is that uh, this dwelling of Christ is, this is working together, that, that strength through the Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That is the result of this strengthening. It is Christ dwelling in our hearts through faith. And now you might be thinking, wait a minute, I thought Paul was praying for believers. Why is he praying that Christ would dwell in their hearts? Does Christ not dwell in the heart of believers? Well, what this prayer is, is he's not uh, necessarily speaking of, uh, of, of that. He's actually saying that Christ would make his home. It is a deeper form of dwelling. What Paul is praying for is that Christ would be continually present and make his home in us. Is this not an excellent prayer? Yes, brothers and sisters, we have Christ, but don't we want to abide in Christ? That he would abide in us. Don't we want to be close to Christ? That is what Paul is praying. And now we get to this second request here as we continue. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge So that's the second request, that we would know the love of Christ. So this is the result of a, pardon me, the result of being indwelt with Christ. The result of him making his home in us is that we would be rooted and grounded in love. We must be a people rooted and grounded in love. And so if we look at our lives and we see a lack of love, then this should be an indication to us that we are 
are missing what it means to be in Christ. We are missing something very vital. Perhaps we have not come to comprehend the love of Christ. Perhaps we have not come to fully see it, but if we see it and we grasp it, brothers and sisters, we will be rooted and grounded in love. And out of this, we might comprehend the many dimensions of Christ's love. We see that we may have strength to comprehend. This word comprehend here is, Paul is saying, to fully grasp, to have a full understanding of the height, the, 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 the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth of Christ's love. And he continues to say that we might know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. What an amazing statement. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Now, at first glance, this seems like a very paradoxical statement. How can you know that which surpasses knowledge? So let us consider This is an indication of the vastness of Christ's love for us. To say that it surpasses knowledge is not to say that we cannot know anything about it. Right? A wrong interpretation of this might be to say, oh, it surpasses knowledge, so I can't really know it, so, you know, just give up give up on knowing it. That is not what he's saying. There is an element of grasping intellectually what Christ has done for us, but it doesn't end there. It surpasses knowledge. And so, yes, brothers and sisters, we should know and we should reflect. We should be aware of what Christ has done in us, that what Christ has done for us, the love that he has for us. We should know the depths of his love as we behold him on the cross. That he, though he was without sin, he died that we might have his righteousness. We need to know that. But let us go beyond that and let us understand that as far as we know the love of Christ, there is yet more to be seen. There is more that we have not yet experienced. There is always more. The depths of his love do not end. It is like seeing a a new discovery in the solar system. And you can understand that the universe was vaster. It was greater than you knew before. And yet you understand that you have not seen it all and you will not see it all. This is the love of Christ. And yet uh, this expression that we may know the love that surpasses knowledge right? That we might have a a full comprehension, a full grasp of all the dimensions of Christ's love. Brothers and sisters, Paul is letting us know that we can personally experience the love of God in Christ. We can personally experience the love of God in Christ. You see, it is not enough for us to just know the facts and not experience the true essence of the love of Christ, right? Like, it, it would be like saying, you know, I, I know that honey is sweet, 
Somebody taught me that honey is sweet. I know I like sweet things. Therefore, I like honey, right? But that is not the same as knowing honey, right? I need to taste its sweetness, to enjoy it. So brothers and sisters, may we strive to know this love. And what we know also is that what we will be, or we are not what we will be, right? There's always deeper to plunge. There is always more to experience. And so if you're here today thinking that you've experienced the fullness of the love of God and Christ, I want us all to look at his word and know that this cannot be the case. There is yet more to experience And now, as we continue in this prayer, this magnificent prayer, what we see is that it is apexing to this final point that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is a remarkable prayer. In fact, Paul could probably not Uh, make any more of a uh, remarkable request. It is almost uh, too great to fathom that Paul would make this request because what we know, right, is that this fullness of God is, is so incredible we can't even fathom it. And he's praying that we would be filled to this fullness of God, right? So what exactly is he saying? We need to be very careful here because this would be a spot where if we misunderstand, we can uh, really go down paths that are not biblical, right? What does it mean to be filled with the fullness of God? Well, first, let us clarify what this does not mean, right? We are not filled with the fullness of God in the same sense that Christ was filled with the fullness of God. This is to say that we are never made equal with God, right? We learn that uh, in Christ, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, right? That he is eternally existent and equal in glory with the Father. This is not what Paul is saying for us. What this is saying is uh, the, the fullness of God is God's attributes. It is his, his character. And yet there are some attributes of God that we cannot touch. Right? God's glory, his omnipresence, and his power, these things are things that we do not get. God, the fullness of God dwelling in us does not mean that God will dwell fully in a human in this way. But what it does mean There are attributes of God that he does give his people through his spirit. Right? They're they're called the communicable attributes of God. The incommunicable are things that only Christ has. 
the communicable, the things that he gives us, right? So, for example, we are told to be holy for God is holy. This means to be set apart. We are told to be holy. We are commanded be holy. This is an attribute that God can give us by his spirit. We are told that we are given Christ's righteousness, right? And so this attribute of God is handed to us. And brothers and sisters, we and ourselves are not righteous, but God has made us righteous through Christ, right? And then there's other attributes of God that can be included in this fullness of God. Consider uh, Paul's letter to the Galatians, where he, he tells us of the fruit of the Spirit, The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These characteristics, oh, how we we want, how we desire these to be growing in us by the power of the Spirit. And this is what it means for, for God's, for the fullness of God to, to, Sorry, for us to be filled with all the fullness of God. It means to, uh, to be filled to the measure of all the fullness of these attributes. It is a mighty work that God is doing in us, is it not? So brothers and sisters, sanctification is a reality for a believer. You see, this is what the indwelling of Christ produces in us. Let us remember that God is building us into a temple for his dwelling. And we know that sanctification is not mere behavior change. It's not adorning a dead apple. It's not polishing a a tree that is barren. No, we need a new heart. The working out of the Spirit in us to reach a more complete grasp of the love of Christ. And as our comprehension of the love of Christ grows, so does his working out of sanctification in us. Our love for him and our love for each other will grow as well. So brothers and sisters, If we want to be filled with the fullness of Christ, let us understand that it comes through Christ. It comes through Christ and it comes by the Spirit and it comes when we are rooted and established, grounded in love. And just as there is always more to grasp of Christ's love, there will... uh, always be more ways in which we have not reached the fullness of God. Maybe you're thinking to yourself now of, of ways that you can see in your life. You, you look at God and his attributes and you see how, how we fail in comparison so much. Every day we fail. And yet, this is the beautiful picture of the walk of uh, Christ that he has given, that that we are peeling away the layers and putting on new clothes of glorious righteousness given to us by God. 
that he would make us a new creation in him. So, brothers and sisters, Paul ends his prayer. He ends this passage in a fitting way. You see, Paul makes such a great, magnificent prayer, asking about as great a prayer for a person as can be to be filled with all the fullness of God. And then he says this, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. Let us dwell on that for just a moment. Greatest prayer you could think of, and Paul says it's not as much as what God can do and will do. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within him, within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And so, brothers and sisters, the fitting conclusion to this is that as God works in us to bring about the fullness of being in Christ, that he would make his dwelling in us, the fitting conclusion is to give him the glory. Amen? Amen. To God be all the glory. He offers this rich transformation and it is a glorious thing for us. It is a beautiful thing. And the best thing for us is to experience this fullness of God. And yet, let us recognize while it is massively beneficial to us, it points us to the glory of God and the power that he is working in us. So may we be transformed for the glory of God. Now, as we, can, as we conclude, let us ascribe glory to the one who is able to do all this according to the riches of his glory. Amen.